Good morning. Well, welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. Today, we're going to conclude our study through the book of Acts. We're going to find ourselves traveling with Paul in Acts chapter 28 as he finally arrives in Rome. A lot of interesting things we'll see in the course of today's study as we bring the study to a close. But before we do that, Paul, if you would let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. Very quickly, if you are looking uh, at this study, maybe on uh, YouTube or Facebook, or you'd like to connect with us on Twitter, uh, all of our social media, you need to search for Truth Factor Live. And maybe send us an email if you have a question, and that's at questions at truthfactorlive.com. That's questions at truthfactorlive.com. Or you could use any of our names as the email um, that you'd like to send to Paul, Tom, Mike, Brian, uh, Shelton, Tom, and at truthfactor.com. And you can reach us there. We really appreciate if while you're on the social media, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's Facebook, or even Twitter, that you take time to not only subscribe or to like or to follow, but also to click for notification because that will help us out as well and help you to know when we do go live on the air. Paul, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you where the notifications will come in handy. Our current plans are to try out topical studies over the next several weeks. We're going to go three weeks, break for Thanksgiving, three more weeks and break for Christmas. Then we'll be into the new year. And so we've been talking about it. We're going to try our hand at some topical studies. So if uh, you receive the notifications, it'll help you to know what's coming up next. And um, we'll share more of that information with you through our, our Facebook page and maybe some short YouTube videos explaining what's coming up next. But in Acts chapter 8, that's where we find ourselves today. And let's see, Paul, if you would go ahead and read for us, beginning there in verse 1. And let's read through verse 10 and, and kind of continue here at the look of Paul's journey. Uh, did you say through verse 10? I was thinking you had previously said through verse 6. I did. We'll go through 10. I think it would be, be a little more fluid. Sure, consistent. I'll be happy to do that. And we're looking in Acts chapter 28. Uh, and I'll begin at verse 1. That may be me with a little feedback here. Let me turn my sound down. I apologize if it was me. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 28, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says there, Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow uh, to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, 
Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. We're going to scroll back up here, go back up there to the beginning of this. As we pointed out last week, they had uh, had a shipwreck here. They landed on the island of Malta. Let's bring up our handy-dandy map, if you can see that at home. And um, I guess the island of Malta is going to be somewhere somewhere out on the far west side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's, um, yeah, it's marked down there directly beneath uh, Sicily and Syracuse, the city of Syracuse. If you can see, it's Melita or Malta. Right there. Okay, there it is. Yeah. Kind of small on the screen I'm looking at. Okay. Um, nice. So that's where that's where we find them now. And, um, Brian, before we look at this, do we have a question that we can share with the chat room? We do. The question that I suggested to our chat that we, you might be able to help us out with is, how does Paul's snake bite demonstrate he's an apostle of the Great Commission? Kind of a reference back to Mark 16, verses 16 through 18. Just... To get your thoughts on that, uh, how do you see that as demonstrating something about him? How does Paul's snake bite demonstrate he is an apostle of the Great Commission? Okay, good point, good point. All right, so let's break the chapter down or this particular text here for a moment. Um, so Paul, he mentions the natives. He doesn't mean natives that we would normally picture from Gilligan's Islands, does he? <laughs> no, they were uh, just like uh, this uh, Publius, I think I said his name, Publius, however you say it. Uh, they were citizens of that island and uh, people who lived there, that was their, that was their home. Uh, Paul was a visitor, uh, but they were natives there. Okay, and that's what, it, that's what it reads like. And we find, of course, as you pointed out, that um, them living on this island, they saw the ship had wrecked and they um, they gathered, you know, kind of brought them together to try to help them. Uh, Paul, do you think that they knew this was a prison ship? Well, uh, we see there that, uh, that there were some who thought that there that they had escaped uh, this murder, uh, that he was a murderer. So there might be some indication there that's indicating that they they're uh, judging him on, on some basis. Uh, I don't know that I know for sure that they know it's a prison ship yeah. or not, but uh, they do at first suppose. We talked earlier uh, before he started live about presuppositions. Yeah. And uh, here the stranger comes in from the sea, from a shipwreck. It may not be unusual because of where Malta is for them to experience some shipwrecks and uh, to have people uh, coming in like that. But as, as we see that, uh, there's certainly some at least concern about yeah. who these people might be, in particular Paul, and that maybe he's been judged uh, in some way. Well, they would have had on the orange outer garments, the stripes. Yeah, the, the stripes. Yeah. Now, now I'm, I'm like you. The, we don't know that they knew that there were prisoners on the ship. Clearly, they were from the previous chapter. There's no doubt about that. But I yes. just wondered that when they saw the viper bite Paul, he must be a murderer. You know, he's going to get what's coming to him. Any thoughts about that? Okay. All right, let's see. A little bit farther here in the text. Of course, they're watching Paul to see what happens. Mike, how does Paul get that viper off of him? 
he just shakes his hand and it goes off into the fire and burns up. Yeah. Uh, that that's simple answer. Um, uh, didn't, didn't bother Paul. Um, let me add the fact that these, according to, uh, the King James translations, these natives are called barbarians in the King James. It would indicate then that these are a people without, um, I'm trying to be kind here without a civilized knowledge of things, shall we say, so that they're very superstitious in their thinking. And uh, snake bites indicated to them an evilness that the, the fellow deserved death. Paul didn't, he shakes it off, and these folks are standing back saying, wow, this guy's special. Interesting point. Way well, out there off, you know, off, off the island, you know, out in the sea, they were a little bit, would have been isolated, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. It's a good point. Let's see. So what was their natural then? I think you may have said this. What was their natural assumption then about Paul when they saw that he did not die? Well, they think he's a God and notice that that small G so that they're, uh, apparently they are idol worshipers. Um, they are at least very superstitious in their understandings. So what, what they see as a God is someone that doesn't get harmed when they should. He's able to do things that they can't explain. It's kind of a supernatural to them. And so uh, they're going to elevate Paul quite highly here immediately. Yeah. Um, I'll ask Tom this. Tom, was this the first time that Paul had been confused for a God? You're muted, Tom. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, the answer to that is no. Uh, on his first uh, journey, I believe in Acts 13 or in Acts 14, uh, both he and, uh, 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 or ex ex second journey, I mean, he and Silas were uh, confused for, for gods. I thought it was Barnabas on this first journey. Was it Barnabas? Yeah. No, no, it was. In Thyatira, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? it was, yeah, it was Barnabas. Or, yeah, because Barnabas was Apollos and uh, Paul was supposedly the messenger. Yeah. In this case in point, it doesn't really say that they called Paul a god. It's just that they Luke observed that they they thought maybe he that he was, because he, he doesn't deal with Paul addressing the issue, nothing like that. You know, he just goes on with the the account there. Right. Now it does say there in verse six. It says they said he was a god. Yeah, maybe amongst so, themselves. I'm just wondering if Paul heard it. Yeah. you know, we might have seen a similar display. Right. Oh, I'm people. sure he corrected them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, matter of fact, what he does, I, you know, the fact, the fact of what he does next, uh, we know that he's using this as an opportunity to teach about Jesus, like he always did. Yeah. Well, with the reports about Herod uh, and what had happened when they said the voice of a god and not of a man, I suspect Paul would have been very quick to correct that if, if that's what he, if he heard their their talking. That's that's kind of the point was is whether or not he actually heard them having the discussion about it. You know, but notice what we find next there in verses seven, uh, eight, and nine. Brian, I'll ask you, I'll throw this one to you. So we have a leading citizen there on the island and um, very courteous. What, what, do you think it was odd, Brian, for him to entertain and take care of them for three days? Do you think there might be something to that? You know, it's, it must be kind of interesting uh, in the sense that. Uh, if, especially if these are prisoners uh, of a shipwreck, it would be odd for Publius, who's sometimes considered being the leading citizen, perhaps to be the governor of Malta, 
Uh, some people interpret it that way. We're not entirely sure. But it is kind of interesting that he would bring him in for three days. Of course, we also see that uh, whenever he came in, perhaps verse 8 is the first day where he heals Publius' father. And that might account for the fact that if he healed Publius' father, he might uh, instantly be given a, a sense of, well, why don't you stay here and uh, you know continue your work here? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good point there. And the fact that he prayed that he healed his father would go a long way to endearing them. There is a comment in our them. chat uh, Gregor had made about oh. the people of the island, um, making the point that the people of this island were referred to as barbarians, hence they not, did not speak Greek or Latin as a first language. Kind of interesting, that word barbarian is, as Gregor's pointing out, actually its, it's uh, original Greek meaning was people that didn't speak Greek or Latin, so uh, especially Greek. Hmm. Okay, appreciate that, Gregor. It's a very good, very helpful, helpful point there. Okay, let's see. Um, they honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. It is interesting to see the hospitality of people, oftentimes, especially when dealing with God's people throughout the history of the Bible. You know, so I think about Cyrus and Darius and so forth. You know, John, I don't think that's terribly unusual. Uh, I think probably most of us have experienced within our individual communities. I know I, I have here uh, folks who get to know us, and maybe they're not really particularly interested in obeying the gospel. Uh, they're not interested in what we uh, are, are preaching and, and all of that. But just because of our hopefully kind interaction with those around us and, and the, the kind of care and concern and, and good citizenship that we show within our communities that we're often treated kindly uh, by those around us because of that, and sometimes not. You know, I, I I won't go into who it was, but I heard a denominational preacher, Paul, a couple, uh, about a week ago on a video. And he was, uh, you know, there are a lot of atheists and everything, but he was talking about fundamentally, and this, Brian, this goes back to the concept of Christianity. So it's it's expanding it in a way that we wouldn't. But um, he's talking about just the good that Christians, and they, they view more people Christians than what we might for obvious reasons. Okay, But they view the good that Christians have done throughout history, even the setting up of hospitals in small third world countries and cities where Naren was. Um, you know, it wasn't the atheists that would go in and try to help everybody. It was those who called themselves Christians who would be the, the influencers of trying to help other people throughout the history of the world or since Christ well, died. You know. We don't believe in just survival of the fittest, uh, yeah. which would be what, what some, some would, uh, their conclusion would be, I suppose, that, that that's how they operate in the world. But instead... Uh, we, you know, are wanting to show Christ, we're wanting to be kind, and even people who don't necessarily like the judge in Scripture, they don't care about God or man. Somehow they they come to appreciate that. I, I have had atheists say exactly that uh, that they appreciate the Christian life, and, and I use that uh, term to describe uh, the nature of who we are. Yeah, uh, yeah. that Christian lifestyle. Uh, mm -hmm. That, that it makes a difference on those around us and they appreciate that kind of kindness and interaction. Basically the caring about others, putting others before ourselves or, you know, that kind of concept. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, let's see, let's come back real quick to the question that we had for 
today, and that question was, how does Paul Snakebite demonstrate he is an apostle of the Great Commission? And I see how you subtly referenced Mark 16, 16 through 18. Did we have an answer for that? We did. Uh, Gregor Hinckley got, uh, fed it right back to us the way we wanted it. Uh, he quoted that verse to us, take up serpents and drink anything poisonous. He didn't drink it, but his immunity was made evident. Yeah. Um, and so this is uh, kind of an interesting thing. That passage is sometimes used by those who are today called snake handlers as a, uh, as a demonstration of their faith. And uh, of course, there's a, there's a great irony that most of those people have been bit and many have died because they, in fact, cannot handle a snake the way an apostle could. So That's right. I had, um, I want to say I remember hearing or reading that Polycarp, who claims to have been a disciple of John, there's some, some record mid, mid-period by either Polycarp or Ignatius or one other fellow who claims that John, the apostle, later in his life, someone tried to poison him, and it didn't work. You know, now, of course, that's, that's not internal biblical stories, accounts, just external. But that was interesting. All right, any thoughts or comments before we go on to the next section? All right, Shelton, Mr. Shelton. Fine, Shelton. There's Shelton. Go ahead, and if you would, read for us verse 11 through 16, if you would, of Acts 28. No problem. <clears throat> You had to excuse my voice is just now coming back from Sunday. So, <laughs> Verse 11 says, <laughs> Verse 11 says, After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed there day. We stayed three days. From there we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Patoli where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and three inns, where Paul, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Okay, thank you, Shelton. What came to mind is you referenced Sunday in your voice. It wasn't because you preached a just overly powerful sermon and, and lost your voice. That's right. I you woke up without it on Sunday yeah, you morning. <laughs> That's right. All right, Mr. Brian, do we have a question that we might be able to use to stump the people at home? Well, and, and I realize as I threw the question out there, it actually doesn't quite reach, uh, uh, it's just a little further on in our reading, but maybe uh, our readers, because they're such, or our listeners are such thoughtful people, they'll actually kind of think ahead a little bit. Uh, why is it Paul goes to the, Ro the Jews of Rome first? It doesn't even sound like he met the saints in Rome before he met the Jews in Rome. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, what do you think the answer to that is? So. All right, so we, we will hold this question then, Brian, until the next um, well, and I do have a question for the next one. So, so if you know the answer, go ahead. I have a better question next, but uh, okay, I, I threw this one in there, and then I realized, well, it doesn't actually say it, but okay. if you can answer it now. I'm going to award you an extra, what's called a Brian point. And they're extremely valuable, uh, <laughs> highly coveted. Lots of people want them. A Brian point. If you can answer a question that we actually didn't read here, so you know, you just now made me desire to go into the vmix settings 
and find, you know, create like an applause button, an award button, <laughs> background, you know, yeah. things like that. Prize, yeah. Yeah. Brian. So what, what's a Brian <laughs> point relate to a dollar? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of questions uh, about that. At, at the end of every year, our young adults, they have a Brian Point Symposium, and I award prizes for Brian Points uh, and such. And so uh, if they've earned a Brian Point, they can cash them in. Uh, but it's about one one-thousandth of a cent is okay. how uh, more or less it translates, cash value. Not the same as a brownie point. No, not the same as a brownie point. A Brian Point. They're very... Highly sought after, highly coveted. Right, right. But all I got to say is after shipping and handling. After shipping and handling, you might owe me some money. But <laughs> all righty, let's see. Um, there we go. All right, well, let's let's look at this section here. It's pretty quick. Sheldon, since you read it, um, what, what does he mean by a figurehead in verse 11? The figurehead. I'm not... I'm not sure. Was that the uh, was the twin brothers? Is that the owner, or is that going to be like the name of the ship? My my assumption, and I may be wrong. I just assumed it was a thing on the front of the ship. Yeah. So, so the twin brothers are Castor and Pollux. Okay. They are uh, uh, one of these sons of Zeus, and so I suspect that the reason. I don't think I, I'm wondering. I looked up a little bit on this, and I'm wondering if they didn't have ship names like they do now. Instead, they had the figureheads. So Castor and Pollux are the two figureheads. So if you were again, this is one of those little details that if you said, "Hey, I wonder," you know, I'm in the time of Paul, and I read this letter. Did this really happen? You could actually find that ship somewhere. Um, a figurehead is also a sign that it's a major-sized ship. That it's a very large ship. Uh, figureheads tended to be only on the bigger ships, as if I have read correctly. So. Okay, Brian, I appreciate that. And and if we had a figurehead here at Truth Factor, you've got the head to be the figurehead. I, I think like that to would, think so. Yeah. That would work. <laughs> well, now, okay, let's look at the next part here real quick. Um, so landing at Syracuse. Let's bring the handy dandy map back up again. So there, you'll notice there right above Malta you'll see the Syracuse that he's referencing. It's just out right at the, it's connected to the toe of Italy on your, your map there. So that's where they've landed at. Um, it is interesting the amount of details, of course, they give here within that. Um, you kind of read through, it's a very detailed account. But they were invited to stay there for about seven days uh, there in Puteoli. And uh, from there, of course, they traveled on to Rome. Anyone have any thoughts on why they might have stayed seven days? First day of the week would be in that grouping of days. Yeah. And Paul was very emphatic about remembering the Lord's death till he come. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's, if we look at other instances in Acts, we, we see the same thing that laid you know, in Acts, early in Acts 20, 20, I believe yeah. it was, they delayed seven Pearl days Ash. there. Broke bread, exactly. Yeah. All right. And one last question here. Sorry, guys. I, my brain is working a little bit slower today than normal. Normal. Um, Brian, or not Brian, Paul. What was, um, what was Paul allowed to do regarding dwelling once he reached Rome? 
Well, uh, rather than being a traditional prison like we would maybe picture or like uh, we looked at a picture earlier uh, about, about what they might have looked like in different cities, that he was allowed to be by himself. And there's, there's the picture. Uh, was that, Brian, you provided that. Was that Philippi? It was. Yeah, that's correct. That's actually the prison in Philippi. And rather than someplace like this, he was able to dwell by himself with just a single guard uh, who guarded him, make sure that he wasn't trying to escape. And I've heard, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the, the, there's a legend about what the Apostle Paul looked like. And we kind of picture him as a hero of the faith and maybe uh, some kind of imposing picture, figure. But at least the, the legend would tell us that Paul was not, that, that he probably was not a great flight risk. And one guard was probably more than adequate to, to guard him. And here uh, he's able to do that. We also know he's able to receive others and he's able to continue uh, some of the work that he's doing, even in that situation with the, the singular guard that's watching over. Yeah, based on your description, he probably looked something like that. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> All right, any um hey back coming. <laughs> has anyone else in this group and I don't mean to be too too far out of line. Has anyone else in this group heard that that legend that Paul was traveling somewhere and I think they wanted to be able to identify him. It's not it's not in scripture. Uh it it's a it's a historical tradition. Uh and that there's this uh it's, that he was kind of short and So uh, so the acts of Paul there's a there's a pseudepigrapha about the 2nd century. And okay. in the Acts of Paul, it says, Paul was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and the nose hooked. So, if, you know, uh, and this is a, about the second century, and this is a non-biblical text, but it does uh, give us a very uh, dramatic and, and un, you know, uh, uh, undesirable appearance, you might say. Well, and I don't know if that's exactly true. I would not put my faith in that. No, but I've just, no. I, I heard that same, that same uh, kind of tradition that was passed down as far as what he might have looked like. Certainly well, he notes in the second Corinthians that there were, there were a lot of things said about him as far as his ability, his presentation as uh, it, you know, that is a uh, presentation. Unimpressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you think about it, there were plenty of people alive. You know, from the time you think about when Paul died, who probably would have known Paul and lived into the second century. So there may have still been eyewitnesses living at the start of the second century who may have been able to describe Paul. You know, yes, but you're right. It's not biblical. It's not inspired. So we, we don't know. Yeah. Similar to Polycarp talking about having seen John and known, known John. I referenced yeah. him recently in the study I'm doing on John's epistles uh, and that, that he would have. Uh, claimed at least to have been had interaction with John. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Any other thoughts or comments, um, Brian? I'm thinking about the question you asked, and I think what we may do is bring that question in after we do the next reading, and then we'll introduce. Sorry, we'll introduce the second question after we answer the first one. Does that make sense? We can sure do that. We do have an answer. Uh, if we do want to grab it, though. Oh, okay. Well, let me bring the question back up here. Why did Paul approach the Jews of Rome first? 
All right, what was the answer to that, Mr. Bryan? And Rager uh, points, gives us the right answer here. Uh, Acts 3 and verse 26, Peter speaks of going to the Jews first. Uh, in Romans 1, 6, Paul himself expresses the same principle. This is proof that Peter and Paul spoke the same gospel. And that's an important idea, that the gospel is to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And uh, Gregor actually adds to it by making the case that, again, there's no question that Peter and Paul bring the same gospel because they follow the same pattern of gospel preaching. That's an important idea uh, in the New Testament, and that's an idea that a lot of skeptics deny, that Peter and Paul preach the same gospel. This is an evidence that that is, in fact, the case. So, Gregor, uh, I officially award you that one Brian point that was offered. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Now, I see the answer a little bit different, Brian. Oh, please, please. Yeah. But we'll talk about that here in just a moment as, as we I'm not saying it's off base, but I would I would answer it a little bit differently here in just a second. But let's go ahead and read. Let's see. Shelton, you read last. Thomas called Didymus. Would you mind reading for us beginning there in verse 17 and let's read down through verse 22. Be, we'll, we'll stop there. All right. Right. It says, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leader of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no putting uh, there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. All right. Thank you, Mr. Tom. So we back up there to verse 17. We, we have to remember something. The reason why Paul here, Paul is here, goes back several chapters to the uproar in Jerusalem. Okay. And he, well, he was taken into somewhat protective custody, but the charge was brought by the Jews. Then he was sent on, what was it, down to Caesarea, if memory serves. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. And some of the Jews were going to travel, and they carried a letter with them as well. And this is when he goes before King Agrippa. So now he has appealed to Caesar, and now he's taking the case all the way over to Rome to appeal to Caesar. Here's the question. Where are the accusing Jews? Okay. They didn't even write a letter regarding what was about to take place. They did the first time. They sent a letter, but they didn't send a letter this time. And so when he gets there, the first people he wants to talk to, well, would be who, Brian? Yeah, that's a great point, uh, John. I actually hadn't really thought about that, but that's a great point. The first people he'd want to talk to would be the people that would be the ones most likely to accuse him. Yeah. Be the Jews. They, and, and what's interesting is when he does it, they say, um, we've not heard anything. There's no letters. And the Jews who traveled with you, they're not talking bad about you. So we really don't know what's going on. 
but we'll meet with you and that'll get in the next section well is it not also the case they'd not even heard about the gospel uh because they're they're they want to hear about things concerning this sect uh this this group uh with which you're affiliated we would call the church isn't that what that phrase is about it is um but what it says there, and you're right, but we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning the sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So they had heard they heard about it, but you're right, they didn't they didn't have enough data. That that's correct. And and it's interesting that these accusers, not sending a letter, not sending any evidence, remember that they had set themselves under a vow that they'd neither eat nor drink till they'd killed Paul. And now you got nearly two years passed. They've either died off of starvation or they gave up on the vow. Yep, there, that's right. there isn't any way that they could prove their accusations. And so after time, uh, again, this is an assumption on my part, but again, after time, they've either died off or given up hope of ever getting rid of Paul. And so he's out of their midst in Jerusalem and they're settled for that's good enough. Didn't we say that he had been with Felix or Festus for about two yes. years? Yes. B- before he even makes his trip to Rome. Yeah, so you may be looking at over three years. Yeah. Uh, you know, these journeys weren't done in a couple of days like they could be today. Yeah. Uh, and so instead of, and, and so there was no himself. letter sent. There was nothing to represent why no, Paul was going. No. Yeah. So these guys that had set them under a vow have come to nothing. Uh, which that, and having made that statement refers back to Gamaliel that just just leave these accusers alone or and, and in Gamaliel's case leave Peter and John alone because if it is not of God it'll come to nothing well what Paul was doing was of God it was going to keep on progressing to do that which God intended it to do. Uh, we're going to read later here where he gets a great opportunity to teach the gospel but as it happens everywhere we go, some believe, some don't. And uh, that's discouraging to some preachers. But by the same token, if we're preaching the truth, we've got to understand that all we're allowed to do is plant and water. God gives the increase. And from there, people either believe it or they don't. That's right. That's exactly right. I appreciate that, Mike. Um, Brian, I failed to share the chat question. We're going to do that real quick. Give the folks, because they've been looking at it for a little bit. Why might these Jews have not heard about Paul? What event in Acts 18.2 suggests these Jews were new to Rome? That's an interesting question. What does Acts 18.2 say, Brian? Acts 18 and verse 2 introduces us to uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And there it tells us that they were new from Rome because the Emperor Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. That's a good point. So earlier on, they had all been ran out of Rome. Now, apparently, they're allowing them back in, or at least there, there there would have been none of the sect left behind in Rome. So, so we might consider how this might impact some of their their knowledge. That's kind yeah. of the question we're thinking about. Okay. All right. Hadn't thought of that. Good point, right, Brian? Yeah. He's filled with good thoughts today. Yeah. yeah. Give yourself a Brian point. Oh, that that would be too self-serving, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but it is deserving. <laughs> All right. It, 
you know, this is the last chapter of Acts. So if it seems like we're we're off target a little bit, you know, you understand why. Even Luke didn't finish the story. He kind of drops it. Anyway. So in the chat room, do we have any comments? I know that was awfully quick to, to bring that up. And what we'll do is we'll move on. We'll continue with, with our reading there. If you'd like to answer the question that uh, talking about why might these Jews have not heard about Paul, uh, go ahead and drop that in there and, and we will get back to it, of course. But let's go ahead and move on then to the next section in our our reading. And let's start there in verse 23. And let's see, who has not? Paul, you read first, didn't you? I did. And then we went to Mr. Shelton. And then we went to Thomas. Brian, would you be so kind to read, beginning in verse 23, and let's read, well, this one we probably need to take to the end of the chapter, which will be verse 31. Be glad to do that. Thank you. Uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 31. So when they had appointed to him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning to leave. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed, after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing their eyes have closed they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that i should heal them therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of god has been sent to the gentiles and they will hear it and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. All righty. Thank you, Mr. Brian. So a couple of things here. And Brian, I keep coming back to my, in your in my mind as, you're, as you were reading through this. The, I, the, the, the point that many, probably all the Christians, if not most of them, were driven out of Rome back in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. And then if we add about five, six years somewhere between that event to here, and that's just I'm guessing now, it would make sense that they would have little knowledge, if any, of the message of the cross and of Christ. So my point well, again, is again that that language you said earlier, you said that he, you know, it was spoken of against everywhere uh, that that there was some knowledge of this to them. I mean that, as you said, that that's the testimony we have. Yeah, but but think about how people people are often biased when they're speaking against something. They, they very seldom, if they're speaking against it, will they lay all the facts out. Um, there was a um, a radio program I was listening to some years ago. And th this guy was uh, was proponent of, of you know, Genesis and creation and was really trying to teach it. Anyway, he was giving a lecture, and some kid came up to him and said, I've got a, a hundred Bible verses that show contradictions in the Bible and why we shouldn't believe it. And so he said, well, have you read them? No, but I've got them all right here, a list of them. 
And so when he, he said, when he sat down with the kid and went through all of them, kid began to realize that, you know, none of them fit. You know, none of them did what, what they claimed to do. Well, people do. They have a list of grievances or whatever. And so they're going to speak evil of it. So it would make sense that when Paul began to teach that you wouldn't have any positive information present you know, before this point. Um, Mr. Mike, let me ask you a question here real quick. Yes, as sir. We go, as we go through this. So if we were to ask what would be a good starting point in preaching about Jesus Christ, what could we learn from verse 23, especially pertaining to his, his audience here? What would be a good way to start? Well, the, the best way, I guess, would be to start is find out where they are. If these Jews are Jews, as they claim to be, then they're going to hold to the law of Moses. That's where they were. That's where you'd start. And Moses said that the Lord God would raise up one like unto me, to him shall you hearken. That would introduce Jesus. Then uh, when you go to the prophets, the Jews would have accepted. Uh, the prophet that comes to my mind would be Isaiah. Uh, here's the Ethiopian apparently was of Jewish persuasion, reading from what we would call Isaiah 53, but not understanding. Philip was caught up with him and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I find his teaching that uh, if you find an individual that's very shallow, shall we say, regarding the scriptures, you have to start where they are and move on from there. You can't start where you want them to be. Uh, they're babes. You have to you have to start from the beginning and move on from there. I think it's a good point. Um, I think far too often we want to start from where we we think that we should start, but it's better to find out where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for example, we we've several individuals that uh, have contacted us and said we want to have a Bible study with you, and they come in with absolutely no knowledge at all, not even an understanding of division between Old and New Testament. Yeah. You, you start at a very basic level, and uh, at least for me, patience is a difficult thing to hold on to, but you have to be patient while these very tender seeds of the gospel finally take root and start to sprout. That's right. From there on, you, you still have to take care in teaching them. It may take quite a while before you reach the point of talking about baptism. Um then to go on from there when you're talking about an individual that's a grown adult um, and has some religious background, shall we say, and whatever it may be, but a religious background, there's an awful time where you have to spend time getting rid of the stones in the field and the, the tares, the, the weeds, the thistles, the wayside soil and all of that. But as the parable of the sower teaches, the sower just sows the seed. The field has to receive it, and there's all four types of those soils in that one field. It's just going to say, simply take time to help that individual realize what soil he has or she has, help removing the rocks, the weeds, and the wayside. That's true. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, Brian, was there a question for this section? 
Um, you know, I didn't throw the question in uh, because we hadn't got to the last question, really. But um, the question was going to be, what types of things might Paul have referenced to demonstrate that Christ, Jesus is the Christ from the Law of the Prophets? I uh, actually think uh, that would have probably been, I'll throw it down there just to, so people can see it. But uh, in other words, what kind of things do you think Paul was talking about whenever he is trying to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ? Come on, from the, the prophets there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. Matter of fact, um, I'll avoid us talking about that. I was going to kind of bring that up. We'll leave that alone and let the chat room kind of uh, spend a little time working on that. It's a good question. Good question. All right. So here we have within our reading, there's, they, you know, Paul creates a little bit of controversy because, you know, he's explaining this to them. It seems to make sense to some and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some, of course, disbelieved, as the text said there. Um, but he says one more thing. And this particular quote, let's see. Mike, who is Paul quoting here in beginning at verse 26? Well, he's actually quoting God. God is the one who's this to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Go. And, uh, you know, it, it, as I reflect on that, Isaiah is told these people are going to hear, but they're not going to listen. They're going to see, but they're not going to comprehend what they see. Yet someone has to go. And Isaiah says, Lord, send me. I'll do this. And here, here's Paul doing the same thing. You know, here's Jews that hearing they don't listen, seeing they don't see it. So go to people that will. Well, I turned to the Gentiles. But now Paul's not the first person that we oh, have no. record of using this this quote. Who oh, else no. used it? Oh, no, no, no. No. Uh, we find Peter uh, using this same understanding. Uh, when he ended up going to the house of Cornelius, he finally reasoned on this. Uh, there, there are others. And uh, yet Romans 1, 16 comes to mind that the gospel has to go to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But in today's world, you go to people that won't listen, they won't perceive. After the first and second admonition, Paul said, reject. That doesn't mean give up. That just means move on. You haven't got time. Uh, I, I, I guess the, the, the older I get, John, and the more I preach, it's frustrating that you cannot receive uh, that that you teach people and they don't respond as quickly as what we want. That's frustrating. By the same token, we're going to be like they were in the first century church. You've got to be patient with these people, and once they don't listen, don't give up on them. But by the don't stay with them in the point that I'm going to get you to convert regardless. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. There's hundreds of thousands of people that need to be reached with the gospel of Christ. And I'm, I'm not against missionary work at all, but the same token, I think a lot of us have a lot more work to do at home. There's people that need the gospel and they've never heard it. They've never seen it. Yeah. Um, keep moving with it. That's right. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, Jesus also refers to this in Matthew 13 when he's explaining yes. why they don't, why he speaks in parables. Mm -hmm. Another passage there that that references that. So, 
Okay. John, uh, if you're reading out of the New King James, which I know several of us do, it's, uh, I was kind of joking earlier uh, with just among our group that it says, Paul said one word, and then here he goes off on uh, basically a, a short sermon. Uh, but as we look at this, uh, the, the idea of one word is, is one more word of exhortation, uh, one more statement. Uh, some some uh, translations will render that. So uh, the idea is not just one word. You know, I don't know if your parents ever said you, told you not another word. Uh, so Paul's not being very literal about that, but just uh, that he has he has kind of a closing message here. Okay, I appreciate that, Paul. That's a very very good point there with that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Any other final thoughts on this particular section? And again, Mike Mike made some good points about the the or where Isaiah or the Lord through Isaiah talks to Israel about the hardness of their heart, and um, Jesus explains us why he preaches teaches in parables, and Paul explains why now we have to go to the Gentiles. Which, by the way, is why we are in Rome right now. If you think about it, is kind of what Paul is saying. You know, in, in effect there. Um, all right. Any other thoughts? So how long, uh, Shelton, how long did Paul end up dwelling in, at least according to verse 30 here in Rome? It says, says two years. And the cool thing about those two years is that he was treated differently. Uh, than other prisoners from the very beginning. We know he was allowed to stay with his own guard. Uh, and I'm sure that that had a lot to do with uh, the events that took place on the ship and uh, and the shipwreck and the things that they found out about Paul while on that journey. Uh, and, and it's very uplifting the way that the book of Acts ends here, that for those two years being able to dwell in his own rented house, uh, he was able to preach and was not uh, forbidden to do so. He was able to uh, spread this gospel to a lot of souls, I'm sure, during that time, uh, with all confidence, with boldness, and uh, no one opposing him. So that's a, a really happy ending to uh, Luke's account of, of Paul's life. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, any Anyone have any thoughts on the idea that this was a rented house and who paid the rent? <laughs> I hadn't considered that, but somebody had to. Well, we know Paul was supported by different congregations, so. Yeah, exactly. And I suspect that that's a little bit of what's happening here. I, Paul had his, his, uh, his supporters, him want to uh, make sure that he was taken care of, because as I understand, that was, uh, that was the way it was done back then with prisoners. Uh, a lot of times their families had to provide for them. That's right. Um, you made me think of something as, as you said that. Um, wasn't it the church of Philippi who Paul talks, who thanks them for having taken care of him? Absolutely. Um, it was in Philippi where he encountered uh, the young girl that he cast the demon out, you know, kind of started an uproar there. And um, so it would make sense that they would kind of stay with Paul. And helping to support well, him. And, and it's interesting that while Paul is in prison here in Rome is when he writes his letter to the Philippians yeah. and uh, lets us know that some of Caesar's own household have become Christians. That's a good point. That's a very good point. There's two references in the book of Philippians that help to identify coming from Rome. And the one of them is what you what you mentioned there, the house Caesar's household. Which there was something about, uh, oh, that says a lot, you know. 
Sorry, there was something about Paul's uh, freedom yet imprisonment, I think, here that that is significant. And that seems to be that, that I would attribute it to several things. I think one would likely be the providence of God uh, watching over Paul so that he could continue to do work. He did a lot of work while here in Rome. He didn't just sit back and say, oh, poor lonesome me. Uh, he did uh, much, much work. And the, uh, I thought about the providence of God. I thought about Paul's conduct, how he behaved himself. And I thought that may have attributed to some of the reason why he was treated so well. And uh, also, I, it just occurred to me uh, a few minutes ago, his Roman citizenship may have granted him some privileges that other prisoners from the same region where he was from did not enjoy. So that was just thoughts. Uh, you're muted, John. Sorry about that. I can hear you through the wall. but <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any records? Because I thought we had one more map. Ba and this would have come from based like on his other writings. Do we have any other records of Paul's journeys after this particular two-year stay in Rome? I've heard it taught, and uh, some of you may be more able to describe this, that it was after this that Paul was freed for a while. And uh, yeah, I, I think I have heard it traditionally taught that he was in Rome and was executed there. But there's some thought that he went uh, on further to the west uh, after he was released at Rome and then ended up back at Rome again. So, Yeah, that's and I, I was going to say that's my understanding when you look at it that way, too, is uh, uh, it, it, you know, most people believe in, and And what this is based on is various gospels or i mean various letters written by paul uh, second timothy in particular as well as some of the others seem to indicate that he was released for a short while after uh, after this and and but then he comes back and uh, and uh, and he was executed in rome and again that's tradition where's the well, reference of where he was going to was it spain or yes he desires yeah. to go to spain okay i apologize that's Mike, actually, I, the I last said... part of romans Mike, I stepped on your comment. I'm sorry. That, that that's okay, Paul. I'm just I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I've been to prisons to teach inmates and to work with them. I think this is kind of an interesting reversal of that. You've got people coming to an inmate to learn the gospel of Christ, and uh, it, it that that's just an interesting contrast. Um, Paul wasn't a bit embarrassed about his situation, not one bit. There wasn't any guilt uh, to bear. Uh, he he knew that the Romans, or the, rather the Jews, are the ones that sent him there, and they can't prove anything. So it, it's an interesting contrast. That yeah, let's go, let's go to jail to learn the gospel. That's uh, <laughs> well. Hey, Mike, you know something I'd add to that is when I when I taught the early part of the book of Philippians. <clears throat> Uh, you know, in chapter one, it talks about how Paul's in chains and so on. Sure. And we talked about that in this text uh, here. Paul was the prisoner, but uh, he had a captive audience. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, it, 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 it's just an interesting fact here that Paul was not at all ashamed. And uh, I'm not sure when he wrote the letter to Rome, but verse 16 of that first chapter of that letter confirms what we're talking about here. 
he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, no matter where he was or what he was doing. And he let that power of God be unto salvation. Uh, someone in our private chat suggested that when Paul said, or when he had one word, that word's at verse 28, and that word is salvation. Let people know what God has to offer. I, I'm satisfied this panel's not a bit ashamed to do that, but we, we've got to do more of it, and we've got to convince the brethren in the pews to get out of the pews and not be ashamed of the gospel and spread it themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. I agree. It is that... It is the idea that we have been given by Christ since the day that we obeyed the gospel. Sure. It's our responsibility to pass, that's, pass it that's along. That's the job of every Christian. And speaking of chains, that's the chain that many people break. Once they've been baptized, they're taught to teach and baptize others to yeah. teach and baptize. And uh, we are in those chains, if you will. Let's don't break those links. That's right. All right, real quick here, a couple of things. Let me... um. So, Brian, we'll come back to the chat question. What did we have? Do we have any replies or responses? We do, John. Uh, in fact, Gregor uh, gave us an answer straight out of the scriptures, uh, referencing Matthew 11. Gregor says, <coughs> excuse me, the blind healed, the lame to walk, raising the dead were all promised in the Old Testament. Uh, even his death, burial, and resurrection all foretold. So by turning to the Old Testament, Paul could teach that Jesus was the Christ. Um, it's really neat there that uh, he cites, uh, he kind of takes us over to Matthew 11, because that's where, when John the Baptist asks Jesus, uh, Jesus points to those things as the proof that he was, in fact, the Christ of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. that he fulfilled. Uh, the word prophecy isn't used, but that's uh, what Gregor's referring to, the prophecies yeah. of what the Christ was supposed to accomplish. So, uh, uniquely, Jesus alone was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And I think there's a reference, if you read through what the account it's from Isaiah that several of these statements are made prophetic. That's statements right. That's right. Well, you know, and, and uh, that's in Matthew 11, when Jesus makes that statement, uh, uh, let me just jump over there for a second. When Jesus makes that statement in verse five, the blind see the lame walk, de uh, dead are raised. Uh, the many of our Bibles that have cross references are cross referencing to Isaiah 29, Isaiah yeah. 35, Isaiah 42, where different applications of these specific miracles were made that the Messiah would be accomplishing. Yeah, and it helps us to understand the context of the prophecy even better to see the fulfillment in Christ. You know, that's right. That's right. You know, and yeah. I always my, one of my favorite stories is the blind man in John nine who who makes the statement. You know, this is you know a blind man having his sight revealed has never happened before. This must be the Christ. And there's a pretty uh, pretty neat idea in considering that. Absolutely, uh, Brian. The point, and, and not that it is a whole lot, but the blind man said no one from birth. That's right. That's right. Because there was a there was the situation where men were struck blind and then their blind their uh, sight was recovered. So yeah, yeah, and and I think Jesus may have restored the sight of people before this too. But well, yeah, but um, and and Jesus in fact did. But one of the ideas is the idea that blindness before Christ came, blindness had never been healed in right. this way. So that's right. Exactly. The whole point of Jesus restoring the sight was the fulfillment of the prophecy. You know, miracles right. not done before now being being witnessed. Mm -hmm. um, right. I mentioned earlier about a second Paul's second journey to Rome. Um, I've got a book here called A Harmony of the Life of St. Paul. 
I didn't know he was a saint back then anyway. But it's it's interesting. And they categorize his second letter to Timothy um, saying that he wrote it while in prison in Rome the second time, not the first time. Um, and so that would be his, the... Well, at least the way they understand it, his second captivity in Rome, where it wasn't like the first time in his own rented house, more than likely, you know. So thought I'd share that with you. Okay, well, we have come to the end of our study. Any final thoughts or comments in the chat room? I don't see any. I don't see any. Okay. Well, listen, let me tell you where we're at. We're at the end of Acts chapter 28. Gentlemen, I appreciate everyone's uh, work with this and leading us through this particular study. It's been very beneficial. And I hope for those watching at home and been able to join us, maybe watching the videos at a later point in time, I hope you found it beneficial as well. I know my son-in-law, he filled in for me uh, Sunday uh, a week back when we were out of town. And um, he popped over at Acts chapter 15 and just kind of scan through to see what we had to say on a couple of things. Not that we're, you know, <laughs> overly bright, but it kind of it kind of just gave him some extra materials there to kind of study on. Uh, are you saying we're not the authority? No. <laughs> Truth factor commentary. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We are a video commentary, guys. <laughs> Hey, maybe I need to rebrand it. The Truth Factor commentary set, all in video. So, um, but where are we going to from here? Well, here's here's our plans real quick. I know because we're, we're way over time. Our plans are the next three Wednesdays, we're going to do a topical study, uh, maybe one a week. And we're going to take Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving off. Then we'll do three more weeks, topical studies. And then we'll have Christmas. The holiday will, won't be, we'll be off for that holiday, if you would. Um, and we'll see how we like the idea of a topical study for a while. We're still trying to figure out the best way of managing it, uh, handling the study. Sometimes with topical studies, you want to throw everything in at one time, and that's not really prudent. We want to make it so that you find it beneficial and it's helpful to you. And so what our plans are, if, if I can keep it together within my own life, uh, before next Wednesday, we'll put on our Truth Factor Facebook page, and I'll try to put it on the actual Truth Factor website what we'll be studying and uh, we may try to put together some questions to pop up ahead of time that uh, may help guide the study and that you could answer and maybe submit your answers ahead of time so we'll be working on that over the next next week and we'll be back here of course next wednesday any other thoughts or comments guys before we do the closing you know uh, i was thinking about very briefly acts uh, acts ends with a lot of questions um, you know, what happens next? It doesn't just wrap all the details up in a nice little package and we understand that. And so, uh, truth factor, uh, there are some questions yet to be answered about what our next broadcast will be like, but we hope that you'll join us and find out. That's next week at 11 o'clock AM central time. And that'll be noon in the Eastern time zone. 9 AM Pacific time. And it'll be 10 AM mountain time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.